From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Wednesday, October the 4th, 2023. You're listening to a special holiday edition of the Beijing Hour coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, in a historic vote, Republican Kevin McCarthy's being ousted as Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. Passenger numbers have surged as Chinese travelers enjoy an extended mid-autumn festival and National Day holiday period. And China's expressed strong opposition to a European anti-subsidy investigation involving Chinese-made new energy vehicles. In the second half of the program, we have more episodes of our Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series. Now checking the day's top stories. U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's being removed from his job in a historic vote. The ouster came after Republican Representative Matt Gates earlier forced a vote on a motion to vacate the office of the Speaker. It's the first time in U.S. history that a Speaker of the House has been voted out of office. Edith Tian Shen has more. Well, it's nothing short of chaos playing out in Washington, D.C. right now. Uh, this is really a historic political moment uh, to see a U.S. House speaker removed from leadership this way. Uh, quite an embarrassing moment for McCarthy himself, who spoke uh, soon after the vote, calling it a personal attack by another Republican congressman. I believe I can continue to fight, maybe in a different manner. I will not run for speaker again. I'll have the conference pick somebody else. I hope you realize that every day I did the job, regardless whether you underestimated me or not, I wanted to do it with a smile. It will certainly be a forced smile when his weakness within the party became clear uh, as he tried to negotiate averting a government shutdown just days ago. And his removal now came uh, after just enough Republicans, by the way, only eight of them, uh, joined all other Democrats uh, to have enough uh, for a majority vote. So uh, that just goes to show the demise of his influence within his own party, but also uh, the separations, the divisions we are seeing right now within the Republican Party itself. Well, right now, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina has taken over as the interim House Speaker, but obviously his role is just to mediate this process until a new Speaker is uh, elected. And, and obviously the biggest problem right now is to find the right person uh, for this job, the right person who can actually get enough votes, because you might remember uh, how difficult it was for McCarthy himself to uh, collect enough votes. Uh, it actually took him a mind-blowing 15 rounds of voting before he could uh, secure enough uh, votes to get into this role. So now we're looking uh, at a situation where it is completely unclear whether Republicans 
can find uh, any other candidate, really, who can get enough votes uh, to become the House Speaker. Uh, and as you know, uh, we know that they have already started their meetings behind closed doors uh, all evening. They've been frantically uh, searching for the new candidate. And this search could actually last for um, uh, a long time. Uh, but the problem is, of course, uh, nothing will move forward in Congress until they uh, actually pick the next House Speaker. And remember that this is all happening because McCarthy himself negotiated a deal with Democrats to avert a government shutdown just temporarily until mid-November. So that means we now only have 45 days to figure out first who the new speaker will be, but then uh, once again we have to find out, get enough votes uh, to fund the government or else we might be heading for yet another government shutdown here in the United States. So certainly this will be a long marathon. Uh, in the coming weeks. That was Edith Tianshan reporting. Well, earlier, political and economic affairs commentator uh, Einar Tangen, uh, Tangen explained uh, how significant McCarthy's ouster was. You have eight right-wing Republicans who put their ideological issues ahead of their party and the people. Coming days just after the bipartisan effort to, sh uh, to avert a government shutdown, which was the right thing to do, um, they are unhappy. Their issues are Ukraine, tax cuts, debt, border, and abortion. In essence, what you have here is um, the tail trying to wag the dog, uh, a very small group who are very ideological, who refuse to give in. The right-wing Republicans are a minority trying to rule, and deep divisions within the party are, are threatening uh, everything that's going on. That was just what McCarthy proved. Uh, he tried to be responsible in passing a, just, this, is, this wasn't a budget, this was just more time to create a budget. And he got an immediate kickback from the hardline uh, Freedom Caucus uh, this means it's in essence you have a Congress that cannot work together and I don't think it's a matter of finding a personality uh, who can do this. This is ideological and very hardcore within the Republican Party, but it's threatening uh, the process, uh, the legislative process of the U.S. That was political and economic affairs commentator Einar Tangen on uh, the U.S. House Speaker's ouster. A 14-year-old boy's opened fire inside of a major shopping mall in Bangkok, killing at least two people. Police say the suspect was taken into custody less than an hour after the first reported gunshots at the Siam Paragon Mall, one of Bangkok's biggest and most upscale shopping destinations. The Chinese embassies confirmed that one Chinese national is among the dead and another is injured. Initial investigation suggests the uh, suspect has a mental illness. Martin Lowe has details. Is the Siam Paragon shopping mall where the shooting took place. It has now reopened to the public and in fact somebody has just laid some flowers here at the entrance. Uh, so although the incident itself is closed, events are still developing. The Bangkok Emergency Medical Centre has just announced that the death toll has risen to three people. The Thai Ministry of Foreign Affairs previously said Two people had died, one a Chinese national, we think uh, a woman holidaymaker, and someone from Myanmar, and uh, at least five people wounded, another Chinese person, some from Laos, and three Thai people. Now, police have confirmed that the shooter was a 14-year-old Thai schoolboy. Now, he appears to have been using a replica pistol, which had been converted to fire uh, bullets. Um, after he was detained by police and there is uh, security camera footage of him uh, putting up his hands as he was surrounded by armed Thai police officers getting down on the ground and surrendering uh, without a fight. Um, uh, but his mobile phone was seized. On that there is evidence that he was texting schoolmates uh, during the shooting saying uh, that he was uh, killing people. He's, He's clearly now in police custody. He's also being examined by doctors to see if he has any kind of a medical condition which might begin to explain this. But at the moment, it seems uh, motiveless. This has happened just a week after Thailand actually uh, scrapped the need for Chinese visitors to obtain visas to come here. Uh, but news like this um, can do nothing other than cause people to stop and think before pursuing a decision to travel here to Thailand at the moment. That was Martin Lowe reporting. Uh, coming up, surging passenger numbers in China amid the extended mid-autumn festival and National Day holiday. 
dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. It's nine minutes past the hour. Uh, travel and consumption figures continue to rise in China during the extended Mid-Autumn Festival and National Day holiday. Uh, Tuesday, it registered an increase of more than 52% in passenger trips from the same day a year ago, uh, reaching over 53 million trips via railways, highways, water, and air transport. Railway passenger numbers have remained especially high, with over 16 million daily trips for five consecutive days. Since the start of the holiday period, box office ticket sales have exceeded 2 billion yuan, or 278 million U.S. dollars. Large numbers of visitors have flocked to the southern Chinese province of Hainan, helping the local economy. Xiaopeng has more. In the first four days of the holiday, Hainan's three major airports in Haikou, Sanya, and Qionghai saw a total of approximately 3,600 flights and a passenger throughput of 506 to 1,000 trips. These figures reflect a surge of 173% and 272% respectively, compared to the same period last year. Airports and airlines say they were fully prepared for the tourist frenzy. Various airlines have launched special flights for inbound and outbound routes from Haikou, covering first-tier cities such as Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen. Sanya Phoenix International Airport has communicated with airlines in advance to open more check-in counters and security screening lands during peak travel hours. Yacht sailing is a popular choice in Sanya, especially for water sports enthusiasts. In the first two days of the holiday, some 5,000 visitors took over 800 yacht sailing trips, an increase of around 248% and 195% compared with last year. Our yacht bookings have increased compared to the same period last year, and these two boats are basically fully booked for the upcoming days. I came from Anhui province. I can drink coconut water and enjoy the sea view while sailing. I'm looking forward to it. In addition to sailing, surfing is also a popular choice. Haikou Customs registered a total of 426 million yuan of duty-free sales in the first three days of the Golden Week, up 40.3% compared to the same period last year. That was Xiaopeng reporting. China says it welcomes the upcoming visit by a bipartisan delegation from the U.S. Senate, led by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. The foreign ministry says China hopes the visit will contribute to a more objective understanding of China in the U.S. Congress, facilitate communication between the two legislatures, and add positive factors to China-U.S. relations. U.S. media say Schumer will lead a delegation of six senators to China next week and meet Chinese government and business leaders. They'll also travel to Japan and South Korea. Turning to the ongoing Hangzhou Asian Games, and a Chinese pair's won gold in mixed freestyle roller skate. Chinese athletes also grabbed gold uh, or gold in the women's and men's 200-meter dragon boat racing. With more action, Yang Guang joins us live on the line. Uh, good evening, Yang Guang. And uh, first up, uh, Chinese divers have staged dominant performances at the Asian Games. So uh, what were the highlights of Wednesday's action? Evening, Shane. Well, in the men's 10-meter platform preliminary, Chinese divers Bai Yuming and Yan Hao successfully made it to the final. But it was not a flawless performance. Both divers made mistakes in one of their six rounds, partially because they chose some quite difficult moves for all the diving attempts. They were challenged by South Korean and the Malaysian competitors for one or two dives, but it didn't affect their overall lead. They still made a Chinese one to go into the final. Earlier in the day, Chen Yiwen and Chang Yanmi also made a Chinese one two for team um, in the women's three-meter spring board preliminary. Actually, Chen is the runaway leader. None of her five dives were scored below 70 points, and she led all the way to the final dive. China has already secured all the diving gold medals on offer so far in Hangzhou. So, yeah, it was a dominant display overall, Shane. Uh, what are the events to look forward to on Thursday? 
Well, Thursday marks the final match day in athletics, and we will see the men's and women's marathon races in the morning. He Jie, who broke the men's national marathon record earlier this year, will represent China in the race along with three other teammates. They are the medal hopefuls in the two races. They will face competitions with athletes from Bahrain and Japan. In basketball, all eyes will be on the women's final, where Team China will face the challenge of Japan. It's a rematch of this year's women's basketball Asian Cup final. China won that game by just two points, so this is expected to be another tight match between the two sides. There will also be a half dozen gold medals bout in boxing on Thursday. Uh, the final cycling gold medal will also be up for grabs in the men's road race. Um, and that's all. Back to your shame. Right, thank you very much for joining us. That was uh, Yang Guang at the Asian Games in Hangzhou. Well, Shang-Chi, or Chinese chess, is a strategy board game. It's returned to the Asian Games after a 13-year absence. Originating in China, Shang-Chi has earned popularity in Southeast Asia, with many athletes participating in the competition in Hangzhou. Brandon Yates has more. 84-year-old Cambodian Shang-Chi player Sok Ting is the oldest athlete of the Hangzhou Asian Games. Sok lost his first round individual match against a player from Chinese Hong Kong who is 57 years younger, but he says he is proud to be an Asian Games contestant. I love this game. That's why I'm always eager to participate in competitions, regardless of my age. I think playing Shang-Chi has a calming effect on the mind. It helps shape a good personality. Sok learned how to play Shang-Chi back in Cambodia at a young age, and he says the game has become an important part of his life. When I was a kid, there were many people playing Shang-Chi in Cambodia. I began practicing the game at school. In 2007, Cambodia set up the Shang-Chi Association, and I was one of the founding members. There are a dozen Shang-Chi players in the association. But due to personal reasons, they couldn't join me for the Asian Games. I'm actually their coach. After they opted out, I decided to attend the Games. Apart from the Chinese players, almost all of the other Shang-Chi contestants at the Hangzhou Asian Games come from Southeast Asian countries. Rad Thai Lokturapol was Thailand's national youth champion in Shang-Chi and also represented Thailand at the World Championships last year. When I was 11, when I studied um, grade 5th, um, my friend and my um, Chinese teacher introduced um, Xiangxi to me and since then I was fascinated by the game. I play chess online, I study chess manual and study the game between um, chess masters and also use the chess software to enhance my um, chess performance and also play the game with the Chinese uncle in the Chinatown and in the park. Malaysia's Sim Yip Hao started to play Shang-Chi when he was seven years old. He also learned Chinese to better understand the game. I never realized that I was good, just that it was my favorite pastime. When the old folks passed me a lot of uh, Xiangqi, uh, the books, the opening books, I don't really understand it. When I was 16, I decided that I have to learn Chinese uh, in order to improve in Xiangqi. So that was when uh, my whole opinion of Xiangqi changed uh, after I started reading the Xiangqi book. With the emergence of more talented Xiangqi players, Southeast Asian countries have gained ground in international Xiangqi competitions. Vietnam won four gold medals at the Xiangqi World Championships last year, including the men's team event title where they beat Team China in the final. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Brandon Yates at the Hangzhou Asian Games. And coming up, China opposes Europe's anti-subsidy investigation into Chinese new energy vehicles. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 18 minutes past the hour. Well, China says it strongly opposes the European Union's decision to initiate an anti-subsidy investigation into Chinese new energy vehicles. Earlier, the EU Commission announced plans to launch an investigation into electric vehicles imported from China. The Ministry of Commerce said on Wednesday that the decision lacked the support of sufficient evidence and did not comply with the trade rules of the WTO. The ministry said it'll keep a close eye on proceedings and firmly 
safeguard the legitimate rights and interests of Chinese companies. Various industries in China are using AI technologies to enhance production and improve efficiency, one area where companies are benefiting greatly from the latest technological advancements is in product design and advertising. Zhou Feng has the story. Graphic design, script writing, and video making are among the most important parts of advertising. Nowadays, AI tools are helping companies produce more creative promotional products at an astonishingly faster speed. Xinyue Gubao Cultural and Tourism Innovation Company in Meizhou, Guangdong Province, is one of the beneficiaries of the latest cutting-edge technology. Design director Lai Zhiguang says different AI tools are transforming the way they make graphics and videos for customers. Previously, we had to shoot numerous video clips of people and different scenes to create just one video. However, AI tools can now generate a multitude of clips from our video production. We used to rely on software like Photoshop for graphics and had to write scripts ourselves. But now AI tools can handle all these tasks. Overall, AI tools have increased our efficiency by 3 to 10 times. In terms of video production, the improvement is even more significant, reaching up to 100 times. Deputy Manager Shan Feng with China Focus echoes Lai's sentiments regarding the remarkable increase in efficiency. For their smart technology company in Beijing, one of their advertising methods involves AR and VR-supported reading products. Our work involves summarizing the main content and the character relationships and creating knowledge graphics or networks that will fit the system. We are already utilizing AI tools for all these tasks. Previously, it took a worker one week to summarize the contents of a book and present them in AR and VR-supported reading formats. However, AI tools can now complete this in just one or two days. We believe that the results provide by AR are more creative and imaginative than those offered by designers. Our work efficiency has improved exponentially. According to the two professionals, the cost of using AI tools now is quite affordable, with some platforms charging only several hundred yuan each month. In terms of video production, the overall cost can be significantly reduced compared to labor-intensive methods. When asked about the potential threat of AI tools to human workers, both professionals emphasize the importance of embracing these new technologies. If we perceive them as a threat and reject them, we won't be able to learn this technology. Technological revolution is inevitable, so we can only embrace it. We can also integrate the technology with our cultural heritage, human touch, and innate advantages in consciousness. It's not AI technology that will replace human beings. It's people who know how to use AI tools. Learning how to use them effectively and seeking their assistance when needed is crucial. The professionals also highlight that human workers still play a decisive role in the production process, adding that there is still room for improvement in terms of the tool's functionality. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhou Fang. The use of artificial intelligence in classrooms has transformed traditional learning and teaching in China. From learning platforms that personalize curriculum based on individual performance to chatbots that provide instant feedback and support, AI is making education more accessible, efficient, and captivating. Zheng Tao has the latest. Improving efficiency is the most visible impact brought by AI. The groundbreaking technology has not only enabled teachers to enhance their teaching methods, but also helped students to develop skills that will better propel them for success in society. Hamon from iFlyTech, a pioneering tech enterprise in the sector, says the company has already applied various AI-powered technologies in classrooms. We combined big models and virtual avatar technologies to create virtual teachers such as Einstein. Students' imaginations are infinite, but teachers always with limited knowledge. By making virtual teachers such as Einstein, students can always get an answer from the teacher. One of the key benefits of AI in education is its ability to analyze vast amounts of data to identify patterns and trends, by incorporating virtual reality and augmented reality technologies, 
educators can create engaging and interactive learning experiences that promote hands-on learning and foster creativity. AI-powered virtual assistants and chatbots can also provide support to students, answering questions, provide guidance, and even great assignments. In our smart classroom program, learners and teachers can simply use a tablet to get access to abundant education resources and perform teaching practice. This approach can fundamentally improve the teaching efficiency in classrooms. Big data can precisely assign suitable homework for students and evaluate the whole teaching process. The tech company has so far provided AI-powered services to over 50,000 public schools across China, with significant improvement in delivering targeted assignments to students. Song Yuanchao is a former senior executive of New Rental Education. He is now developing a wide range of online courses using AI tools. In the past, it would take about one or two months to create a curriculum. Now we can design a curriculum in just three to five days. AI is involved in every step, from generating a basic outline to developing specific content. Real persons oversee the process and select content that aligns with their expertise and preferences. The popularity of AI-powered courses is evident in the thousands of online curricula that have been sold by the developer. Song says AI has opened up new possibilities as educators continue to discover innovative ways to leverage this technology and enhance knowledge. Many of our customers are using AI for family education, teaching parents how to educate their children. The method will also help foster children's curiosity and encourage them to ask questions. While there are still challenges to be addressed, such as data privacy and security, Hamon with iFlyTech says the potential benefits of AI in education are undeniable. He believes that AI is poised to play an increasingly significant role in shaping the future of education. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. Three scientists have won the 2023 Nobel Prize in Chemistry for the discovery and synthesis of quantum dots. The scientists are Mwangi Bowendi, uh, Louis Bruss, and uh, Alexei Ekimov. Nanoparticles and quantum dots are used in LED lights and TV screens, and can also be used to guide surgeons while removing cancer tissue. Uh, the more than century-old prize from the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences is worth 11 million Swedish crowns, or roughly 990. U.S. dollars. The chemistry Nobel follows those for medicine and physics announced earlier in the week. Armenia is working with world bodies in dealing with the influx of refugees fleeing the disputed region of Nagorno-Karabakh. Last month, Azerbaijan took the region from ethnic Armenians, leading to an exodus of a large number of ethnic Armenians、uh, the following days. Stephanie Freed has more. As Armenia struggles to absorb the estimated 100,000 refugees who have poured into the country, the country's politicians are making changes, and humanitarian groups are appealing for help. On Tuesday, Armenia's parliament ratified the Rome Statute of the ICC, recognizing ICC jurisdiction. The implications being that if Russian President Vladimir Putin steps foot. Into Armenia, he can be arrested. Armenia and Russia were at one point closely allied. That has changed of late. In other developments, UN inspectors wrapped up a tour, the first of its kind in 30 years, in the enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh inside Azerbaijan, coming to the conclusion that no visible evidence of violence against civilians was present. In parts of the city visited by the team, they saw no damage to civilian public infrastructure, including hospitals, schools, and housing, or cultural or religious infrastructure. Amidst suggestions that France and other European countries may provide aid, including military aid, to Armenia, the UNHCR has issued an emergency appeal for help in housing, clothing, and feeding. The mass influx of refugees. 
That was Stephanie Fried on the Nagorno-Karabakh refugee issue. We're at 28 past the hour, Beijing down to 9 degrees overnight. Tomorrow is sunny with a high of 22, Chongqing's 21 this evening, and then a light rainfall and 22 on Thursday. And that wraps up our special edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, in an historic vote, Republican Kevin McCarthy's been ousted as Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. And China's expressed strong opposition to a European anti-subsidy investigation. Coming up next, we'll continue the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series. And today we'll explore how Xi Jinping plans to build a harmony between humanity and nature and how his thoughts regarding ecological civilization gradually came into form. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An General Railway Company, Deutsche Director of the International Monetary Foundation. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好。In 2005, Xi Jinping put forward the concept of lucid waters and large mountains are invaluable assets. In Anji County, while working as secretary of the CPC Zhejiang Provincial Committee. Back in the 1990s, a small village called Yuchun in Anji County was drowned day and night in the rolls of ever more new quarries and the clamor of machinery. Villagers did grow rich in just a few years from cement plants producing high-quality limestones from the local mountains. People's wallets fattened up, and the village became known in the region for its wealth. But this came at a huge price. As the village became covered with dirt and its rivers ran murky. In 2003, the project of building an ecological province was launched across Zhejiang. Yusun village decided to shut down three quarries and one cement plant. As a result, villagers' income slipped, and the halo of a well-to-do village faded. Some villagers were not so happy. Economic growth or environmental protection? That was the tough question Yuchun village had to face. On a scorching day in August 2005, Xi Jinping arrived in Yuchun. Even with the lone air conditioner turned on, the packed meeting room of the village was still stifling hot. Outside the window, cicadas chirped ceaselessly. She asked Bao Xingming, who was secretary of the CPC branch of Yuchun village, about the shutting down of quarries and enterprises that were causing pollution. How much profit can the cement plants and the chemical plant make in a year? Millions of yuan. Why were they shut down? <sighs> because they were causing severe pollution. Yuchun village sits at the upper reaches of a river and polluted water discharged from the plants 
was causing serious harm to villagers living along the river. Besides, mining and lime kilning over the years have been polluting our village, filling air with dust and smoke all year round. It was like living in a cage full of poisonous air for everyone. And people ended up spending their hard-earned money in hospitals, getting treatments. That was a reenactment of the conversation based on published works. Bao's voice trailed off as he spoke. He wasn't sure how the decision of the village would be judged and what response he would get from Xi. In an era when GDP was the predominant indicator of local government performance, few officials would risk career setbacks to prioritize the preservation of mountains, rivers, and plants over economic growth. Xi Jinping read the concern in people's eyes and responded with a smile. Shutting down the quarries and processing plant was a brilliant move. We used to talk about developing the economy while preserving the environment. But the fact is, lucid waters and lush mountains are invaluable assets in their own right. He noted, ecological resources are among the most valuable resources. We cannot simply exploit them for the sake of economic development, as this can come at a great cost. There are things we should do and things that we should never do. One thing for sure is that we cannot indulge in the unsustainable development model of the past. The villagers felt fully assured by Xi's words, which clearly outlined a direction for the village to kickstart its green development. A few days later, Xi published a commentary entitled Lucid Waters and Lush Mountains are Invaluable Assets on Zhejiang Daily, which was later known as the Two Mountains Theory. He pointed out that if the advantages of having lucid waters and large mountains could be transformed into strengths in ecological agriculture, industry and tourism, then these natural resources could truly become mountains of gold and silver. Over the following decade and beyond, Yichun village changed from living off the mountains to conserving and enriching the mountains. With environmental conservation as a precondition, the village actively promoted rural tourism and pushed the integration of cultural tourism and agricultural industries. In this process, ecological premiums were channeled continuously into economic and social benefits, and Yusun transformed into a beautiful village with a prospering local economy. This concept of green development later extended beyond the province of Zhejiang to the entire country. Tens of thousands of villages have developed thriving industries while preserving precious ecological resources. They have found their own path to green development. Keeping in mind people's aspiration for a better life, Xi Jinping has upheld the principle of balancing ecological conservation with economic development throughout the past decades. He said, To protect the environment is to protect productive forces, and to improve the environment is to boost productive forces. He also said, We can seek development opportunities in the course of protecting nature and achieve win-win results in both ecological conservation and high-quality development. In April of 1997, Xi Jinping, then Deputy Secretary of the CPC Fujian Provincial Committee, took an inspection tour of Sanming City and visited some remote villages in the mountainous region. Changkou village, like many other villages in the region, was blessed with clear waters and large mountains. But the villagers were struggling to make ends meet. Zhang Lingxun, secretary of the CPC branch of Changkou village, remembered that at the time of Xi's inspection tour, villagers were debating about selling a portion of the local primary forest to increase their income and improve their livelihood as life was just too hard for them. 
He recalled, at that time, the village had no paved roads, no modern houses, no functional street lamps. Villagers could barely make ends meet with their meager earnings from growing crops. In Zhang's own words, the only apt word to describe the villagers' lives back then was difficult. Xi Jinping chatted with the villagers, asked questions, and listened attentively. As he gazed across the Jingxi River that ran through the village, he caught sight of the verdant primary forest that sprawled over an area of over 130 hectares on the opposite bank. Lush mountains and lucid waters are invaluable assets. You should work on this beautiful landscape painting and take concrete steps to make good use of the natural resources in this mountainous region. She said, if you make use of the mountains and rivers properly while effectively preserve ecological resources, you can surely improve your economy. Xi's remarks enlightened the villagers of Changko. Since then, mountains and forests have become the most precious treasure in the eyes of the villagers. They stopped cutting down trees from natural forests. Instead, the villagers only fell trees from man-made forests at a reasonable pace while also planting new trees. Currently, forest coverage rate in Changko village has surpassed 90%. The village has also diversified its industries to include leisure tourism, tourism-oriented agriculture, and specialty livestock business. As a result, big enterprises flocked to invest in the village, and eco-agriculture projects have been launched to help locals generate extra income. In 2019, Zhang Lingxuan came to Beijing and had the chance to update Xi Jinping on the current situation of Changko village. According to Zhang, new houses had been built in an orderly fashion near the mountains and rivers, and the village stayed clean and tidy. Additionally, power lines and natural gas pipelines had been installed, and recreational facilities such as a basketball court, a park and an open-air swimming pool had been built the whole village had practically become a big park. Green resources that once lay dormant have been activated and converted into assets, bringing tangible economic benefits to the people. In 2020, through green development, annual per capita income of Changko village increased tenfold compared to 1997. The guidance from Xi Jinping not only helped Changko village keep its mountains green, but also instilled the idea of green development in the hearts of the locals. From Zhengding to Shanghai and to the central government, Xi Jinping has always attached great importance to environmental protection. In cases where serious damage was done to the ecosystem, Xi has always required that matters be followed through all the way till problems are completely resolved. In February of 2000, an unfortunate incident of environmental pollution occurred in Fujian province. Illegal discharge by a pesticide factory contaminated over 100 kilometers of Mingjiang River and killed over 1,000 tons of fish. The river pollution caused panic in the area as residents rushed to buy mineral water. Upon learning of the case, Xi, then governor of Fujian province, promptly issued orders to affected water processing plants to either shut down temporarily or initiate emergency treatment to ensure the safety of water consumption for the residents. He also instructed legal actions be taken against the responsible enterprise in accordance with the law. Based on evidence gathered through investigation, the pesticide factory was ordered to shut down its production line and seal up its manufacturing equipment. And the police started an investigation into the culpability of people responsible for the accident. She said such environmental accidents must be taken seriously, and environmental problems that could harm people's health must never be tolerated. Starting in May of 2000, a tornado of environmental protection operations swept through Fujian province under Xi's leadership, targeting enterprises that were causing serious pollution. 
By the end of 2000, nearly 5,000 enterprises in Fujian that were causing industrial pollution completed rectification as scheduled. She said that nobody must cross the red line in terms of environmental protection. Industrialization created unprecedented material wealth, but it also caused irreparable damage to the environment. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. As China's economy transitions from high-speed growth to high-quality development, Xi Jinping says China will give priority to environmental protection and promote green lifestyles to ensure sustainable development and create a better future for all. To him, building harmony between humanity and nature is an essential part of Chinese modernization and also a responsibility that he carries for history, for the people and for future generations. Xi Jinping started a family when he was working in southeast China's Fujian province. He and Peng Liyuan were married in Xiamen in September of 1987. On their wedding day, they didn't have a grand ceremony but only invited a few colleagues to a simple meal. As part of the wedding tradition, his colleagues teased the newlyweds and requested to visit their residence for a cup of tea. Xi Jinping readily agreed. Four colleagues squeezed into the small dorm room where Xi Jinping lived at the time. The newlyweds soon realized that they didn't have enough cups for a party of six and improvised by using bowls and other containers as makeshift teacups. The bride went out and bought a packet of candy in a nearby shop and handed them out as happy wedding sweets among the guests. Sorry, we didn't prepare any wedding keepsakes for you. No, actually you have the best gift. Your saying would be the best one. All right. I'll sing a song for you all. That was a reenactment of the conversation based on published works. Close friends, light tea, and a delightful live musical performance were fond memories of their wedding ceremony. Xi Jinping and Peng Liyuan's daughter was born in Fuzhou in 1992. A photo of Xi Jinping riding a bike carrying his daughter captures their happy life in the provincial capital of Fujian. Xi Jinping grew up in a family with a simple lifestyle and very strict discipline. His father, Xi Zhongxun, once served as Chinese Vice Premier and Secretary General of the State Council or China's Cabinet. Despite the high position, Xi Jinping's childhood home was no different from an ordinary household. In the wintertime, they stored Chinese cabbage, turnips and green onions to eat throughout the cold weather. A few plates of peanuts, walnuts and sweets on the living room table were reserved for guests, just like in any other Chinese family back then. For many years, the food served on the dining table in the Xi family consisted of typical Shanxi dishes such as steamed cornflour buns, stir-fried vegetables, and a local spicy soup. Xi Jinping's mother, Qi Xing, said he grew up on those cornflour buns. Xi Jinping recalled that most of his clothes from childhood were hand-me-downs from his elder sisters. His mother re-dyed clothes with floral prints in black for Xi Jinping. He said his father's frugal lifestyle and strict discipline at home were well known. Under the influence of Xi Zhongxun, Xi Jinping learned to work hard and live a thrifty lifestyle. Parents set the best examples. As time passed by, Xi Jinping grew into a hard-working and down-to-earth person with strict self-discipline. 
In March 1982, Xi Jinping left Beijing and arrived in North China's Hebei Province to serve as Deputy Secretary of the CPC Zhengding County Committee. This was the beginning of his political career. When he first arrived in Zhengding, Xi Jinping lived in a single-story building within the compound of the county committee. This room served as both his office and living quarters. It was about ten square meters and simply furnished with a bed, a desk, a chair, and a small bookshelf full of books. One sunny noon, a set of bedding was hanging on the clothesline in the courtyard for airing. The color of the quilt had faded after years of washing, and it was narrow and short. The bedding was covered with patches in different colors, and its original color was no longer recognizable. This worn-out set of bedding stood out in the bright light. They belonged to Xi Jinping, the new deputy secretary who just arrived. A whisper in the crowd caused a stir of surprise. Deputy County Governor He Yu rushed to find Xi Jinping when she heard this. Shall I borrow a set of bedding from the guest house for you? They will be more comfortable. No, thank you. But that's not necessary. I'm used to my own set. The quilt is a bit short, but I cover my feet with my overcoat at night. It's good enough. Xi Jinping said the old bedding was handmade by his mother with pieces of cloth cut from worn-out clothing at home. He has had this bedding with him since he was 15, when he left home and started living in the countryside in northern Shanxi. Xi Jinping's attire was plain too. Oftentimes, he wore a cotton overcoat in the winter, shirts in the summer, and a simple tank top when he went on inspections in rural areas. His colleagues who worked with him for three years in Zhengding recalled, "We never saw him wear anything new." When Xi Jinping first arrived in Zhengding, people doubted whether this young man, the son of a high-ranking official from Beijing, could put up with the rustic lifestyle and overcome difficulties. But gradually, their concerns proved to be unnecessary. Xi Jinping's lifestyle turned out to be even thriftier and simpler than theirs. At that time, there was only one canteen inside the compound of the county committee. Meals were served punctually and did not wait for anyone. Xi Jinping, like everyone else there, would bring his lunchbox and queue up at meal times. Sometimes, when he was busy working and missed the canteen schedule. He would make do with two cold steamed buns as a meal. The facilities in the canteen were very basic. There weren't even enough seats for everyone. When the weather was warm, people would eat under a tree in front of the canteen, where there were cement tables and benches. Xi Jinping would sit under the tree with others and chat with them while eating. People would often gather around him, chatting and laughing. Xi Jinping has always kept his lifestyle simple since he was young and never sought privileges. When working as a local official, he lived in dorms and had meals in canteens with other staff members. His offices were always furnished with the bare basics. He would not take a bus if he could just ride a bike, and would not step in a car if he could just take a bus. He always traveled light and refused any special reception when conducting field research in the countryside. Xi Jinping explained, "If I wanted to, I could live much more comfortably than most other people. But what would be the point? If I think for myself too much, I would stray from my goal of serving the people. An official should focus on how to benefit the people during his tenure." Officials should regard themselves as ordinary people and set living standards as basic as possible. Xi Jinping said that being honest and upright is the most important virtue of government officials, who must abide by the code on honesty and self-discipline. He has lived by the principle of be honest as a person, be clean in one's conduct since his youth. He's the best example of a man of integrity who works for the interest of the public. 
Back in the 1980s, Xi Jinping was working in Zhengding County in North China's Hebei Province, which was not far away from his parents' home in Beijing. Every year, he would travel between Zhengding and Beijing five or six times for meetings and other official business. However, he never had his travel expenses reimbursed, but paid for them out of his own pocket. When asked about it, he said, "I sometimes drop by to visit my parents when I go back to Beijing. The expenses also cover my personal needs, so I won't have them reimbursed." Xi Jinping often went to the countryside for field research. Usually, he would have a meal at a local farmer's house on each tour to gain more first-hand information about lives of the locals. Every time, he would pay for the meal with a grain coupon plus a certain amount of cash, according to regulations at the time. Xi Jinping kept up this practice over the decades. Even as China's top leader, he still pays for every meal he has on inspection tours. Back to the days when he worked in different localities, he often treated guests to meals with his own money—simple meals with great hospitality. In the early summer of 1985, Xi Jinping was about to leave Zhengding County for Xiamen when he treated his colleagues to a simple meal to say goodbye: a roasted chicken, a plate of peanuts, some vegetables, and tofu. Besides setting a good example himself, Xi Jinping also urged fellow government officials to stay disciplined and guard against abuse of power. In June 1988, Xi Jinping went to Ningde City in Fujian Province to serve as secretary of the local CPC Prefectural Committee. At that time, conducting official or business deals over banquets with drinks was quite prevalent in Ningde. After taking office in Ningde, Xi Jinping set specific standards for official receptions at different levels and issued specifications regarding expenses. The ingrained drinking culture among local government officials came to an end. He said, "If government officials fail to set an example of integrity, they will lose the trust of the people." In his belief. Government officials hold a certain amount of power, and they are more likely to make mistakes when it comes to fame and wealth. If officials are not firm with their self-discipline, not alert to temptations around them, and keep taking chances against the rules, they will inevitably get into trouble. Over the years, Xi Jinping has been upright and self-disciplined, and has also imposed strict requirements on his family members. Every time he moved to a new post, he would remind his family members, relatives, and friends that you cannot engage in any business activities where I work or use my name in seeking any personal gains. Otherwise, don't blame me for being harsh on you. And wherever he worked, be it Fujian, Zhejiang, or Shanghai, he would invite his colleagues to join the scrutiny over potential abuse of his name for personal gains. Xi Jinping said that serving as a government official and making a fortune are two separate paths. If one decides to assume public office, he must stop eyeing for extraordinary wealth. And if one aims for incredible wealth, he shouldn't pursue a career as an official. As the saying goes, "You can't eat your cake and have it too." Through these quotes, he reminded government officials and their families to stay clear from acts of corruption. During his tenure in Shanghai in 2007, Xi Jinping discovered on inspection tours that some officials held two posts at the same time. They were both government officials and senior executives in state-owned enterprises. From the enterprises, they received handsome salaries. And as public servants, they enjoyed generous pensions upon retirement. They enjoyed exclusive benefits from both sides. Upon this finding, Xi Jinping instructed the CPC Shanghai Municipal Committee to issue an order requesting local officials to make a clear-cut choice: to stay as public servants or work in enterprises. In the meantime, Xi Jinping was deeply aware that anti-corruption required not only self-awareness but also institutional restraint. 
With his support, Shanghai launched a pilot reform program to further regulate business activities by spouses or children of government officials. The program required that, in a conflict of interest, either the government officials resign from their public posts or their family members withdraw from business engagements. The campaign was then promoted nationwide, gaining wide support from the people. Many believed it would greatly reduce corruption by family ties and therefore prevent loss of the public interest to individual lacks of malfeasance. Over the years, Xi Jinping has become a role model who honors simplicity and frugality in life and diligence at work. No matter where he works, be it at the local level or at the central level, he has always emphasized that government officials should cultivate their characters and virtues to set examples of honesty and integrity. For him, these are decisive factors in winning people's trust and support and the foundation of good governance. Take away Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Take away Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 